0: Thank you very much for coming and sitting and talking with me and letting somebody else ask the
1: questions for a change. So, first of all... Thank you. It's my pleasure to to be here. And I would do anything for you, Norma.
0: So, I think there's a whole history about you that most people don't know. And I remember you... Way, 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 way long time
1: ago. A yeah, long time ago. So
0: where, what city did you grow up in? Brooklyn. Oh, there you go. I thought I knew
1: everything. Nah, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Middle okay. Basin, mm-hmm. um, way down south near, near the King's Plaza Shopping Center. That's where I grew up and went to work with my dad every chance I got in the city. Cause he worked in the Garmin Center and oh, that was did? how I kind of uh-huh. fell in love with the business.
0: Very interesting. And what were your majors in school?
1: Well, in high school, I went to Madison High School, and I studied fashion design there, and I won the medal. And um, everybody thought I would go to school to study fashion after that. And I, my dad said no. He said, fashion's in your blood. That'll happen later. Go get a liberal arts education. Right. And so I went to school in Buffalo because it was a state school. You know, at the time, still is SUNY. And was, at that time, one of the most political, really very, very good schools. And my sister was at Pratt already, so I was going to save them some money. I was a good kid. And I studied fine arts and graphics and communication design, because I figured that would be a better ticket to get a job when I got out of school than studying painting and sculpture. Mm -hmm. And so when you got out of school, then? When I got out of school, I won a contest in my last year with Mademoiselle Magazine. Oh, wow. And in our era, Mademoiselle was the best mm-hmm. magazine mm-hmm. with the very best people. It was a fabulous magazine. And I was one of the guest editors, which was a big competition that they would have every yeah. year. Yeah. And I followed in the footsteps of people like Allie McGraw and Betsy Johnson yes, right. and That's Sylvia right. Plath. And um, I was one of the 20 in my year. And uh, after the, that guest editorship, which was a month in June, uh, where we, I, I tell people, if that existed today, it would be a reality TV show. Yeah. 20 students picked from around yeah. the country, living yeah. in some house, trying to get the job with a boyfriend. And, right. You know, but it was, it was a remarkable program. Uh, but in any case, I then was the only one in my group of 20 asked to stay on with a permanent job. Wow. So I started my career at Condé Nast at Mademoiselle. That's six, seven years there.
0: I had no idea. That is really amazing. So at, at Mademoiselle, what do you think was the biggest learning experience for you? What, what do you think that? Um, it,
1: that's a good sp- question. But what was it
0: like, what set the base for you to be who well, you at, are now?
1: Well, at Mademoiselle, I mean, was the smarter of the magazines they had at Condé Nast. But, it was, a, it was a real eye-opener going to work in that company. Um, and I, I'll never forget going to HR about asking for a raise, because, I mean, I was probably making $80 a week, you know, uh, which was what we were all making then. That's right. And I was
0: making $80 a week too at the airlines. Yeah. <laughs> that well, was the you big ticket. That? $80 a week? <laughs> no, it's um, hard.
1: And, and shared an apartment right. with three other people. Um, but I remember going to HR and talking about it, because those magazines at that time also had very many trust fund yes, that kids fair, there who yes. didn't need yeah. $80 a week. Right. And asking about a raise, and by the time you walked out of there, you were like, thank you so much. It is a privilege working here. Yeah. I absolutely appreciate, you know, right. not a dime exactly. more. Right. It was like take advantage of the perks, you know, right. the this, the that all the advantages here, what a privilege it is to be here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've walked out with you, right. <laughs> like, so embarrassed <laughs> that you had the nerve to ask for more money to survive. But, but I, you know, I met so many interesting people there and people were so smart and it was a real work ethic that's, that I find very different today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I also learned that I had some value and my last year there or two years I moved from the college competitions here I was in merchandising so I traveled to every department store in America mm-hmm. which was a great experience mm-hmm. uh, doing those in-store events yeah. with bringing a magazine addition to life mm-hmm. you know whether it was exercise with Nick Hanofsky you know the, the, right. the Romanian gymnast yes, of course. <laughs> um, you know and I'd be talking about the body fashions and mm-hmm. he'd be you know, leaning on his arm and lifting his body up. And, uh, you know, it was really fun. And we did makeovers in the stores. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I really learned a lot about being in the trenches. Yeah. And when you went to every store in the country that had a name and a personality, like Higby's and, um, or Dine's and stores that are all now Macy's. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I mean, National yeah. Field. I mean, they're all gone. Um, but I learned a lot, met a lot of interesting people, you know, did roadshows where we did these makeovers with Maury Hobson and, um, and makeup artists and uh, people. It was just, it was fun. I had mm-hmm. such a good time. Um, but I left the magazine because I had a boss who was competitive and jealous and she knew that I was yeah. in the end. And I said, it's never going to happen here. You know, she's just not going to let me do it and I won't mention her name because she's well was well known in the industry I'm sure (laughs) Uh, so off the record I'll tell you (laughs) later but um but it was a great first job yeah no question
0: and and your motivation so much of what people ask young people especially is like how did you do it what did you do it's it none of that is in a book it's your desire to just do it and mm-hmm. be in the trenches and to and the excitement of what each day is going to bring and Absolutely. no matter what you do i mean it, you you almost create the life you want to have and you are Without realizing it. you are the example of that you've not only created the life you want to have you've created the life the fashion industry wanted to have and it really uh, you know, there is no one else that can take credit for that. Absolutely no one else. You, you. you gave the American fashion industry an identity, and it is just unbelievable to think about what was before and that you had the vision for that. I, I just remember thinking oh, how does she get the nerve to do this? Like, you have to really, first of all, all the egos and everything else. Yeah, there
1: were a few of those.
0: So, be, but before we get there, between creating something from that didn't exist, having the vision, but even more so having the fortitude to do that, from that job to, the, to, to that vision... What, where, what were you doing? What was sort of the pathway through it? Yeah,
1: um, I was always just intrigued by talent and good design, and um, for me, it's all about a lifestyle. of uh, It's all very interconnected, and so when I left my Mademoiselle job, I, I think the next thing I did was um, I went to work at Gimbal's East. Remember Gimbel's? Yes. I, or remember uh, Gimbel's? Gimbel's. You know, when I talk about my what career Gimbles, in places, right. I go, you know, by the fourth or fifth job, I go, <laughs> that doesn't exist either. So <laughs> if anybody's still with me or remember any of these places, um, Gimbel's oh, had opened a new store on 86th Street in Lexington Avenue, I which was to cater that. to the Upper East Side yes. clientele. yes. Because downtown was Macy's and Gimbel's. Mm-hmm. And you have to go watch those Christmas movies right. to
0: understand, to understand that Gimbals, them. Yeah.
1: Um, and that was very promotional. But I loved it. I was the fashion director at Gimbel's. And I remember having my Diana Vreeland red office with all this, like, wicker <laughs> furniture. And, um, and a tiny place, but it was so chic, that little tiny office. Mm-hmm. But wow. I was responsible for windows, for ads, for um, merchandising some of the better shops. So that's when I really got into the market. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Went to the shows that were all over this, wherever they were. And um, But I loved doing the windows. I loved doing all the in-store events. Um, I hired George Stavrino. So remember George to do ads? Yeah, of course I did. Larry yeah. Laszlo yes. was doing illustrations yes. for me. Oh
0: I mean, God. these are all people that yeah. were n-
1: nobody knew them at yeah. the time. Yeah. And they were all my pals. And it was so nice to... oh you know We had our own identity for everything. Yeah. And... I loved that job until Gimbel's was bought by, Gimble Sachs was bought by some other big, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. chain and whatever, whatever. And they said, okay, now we need to merchandise everything in the store by color code. And why don't you come down to 33rd Street? And I said, there's a fashion office there, really? And I, that, was, that was not mm-hmm. gonna work, you know? And I did have a short stint in my life on, on 7th Avenue. On the other side of the fence, for a company called Cinnamonware, and Cinnamonware mm-hmm. was one of those lines that was at Bendels, the good old mm-hmm. days of mm-hmm. Bendels, and it was Madras. It was every color Madras, You're and, brand- kidding. and they just hardly changed the collection every season. Mm-hmm. But um, I was, I was now on the other side of the fence, having to do like not really sales, but promotion, whatever, mm-hmm. and I I hated it. Really. Um, and I was in 1412 Broadway, in fact, where I then came back years later at CFDA's FDA's office. Mm-hmm. But I, I also learned something very important at that time because they were not the nicest people that I was working for. And I was fired. Um, and it was Christmas. And I remember being in the building and everybody was walking in with trays of candies and cookies and Christmas parties and right. all this stuff. And I was like, I was the most depressed and I thought if I ever ever I'm in a position of authority I will never fire somebody around yeah, this time of the year it's just, <laughs> because it's just it's <laughs> just wrong <laughs> just wrong and <laughs> and then now it's and t- you learned those it, yeah. things you know from all these experiences yeah. um, and then I eventually opened up my own PR firm Ask me what I knew about mm-hmm. PR
0: what year no. was that
1: it was like 1978 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been around there. Um, and I went to work with friends of mine who were architects and interior designers. Right. Who you knew, Scott Bromley and Robin right. Jacobson. And they had an office on 59th Street by the Bridge. Um, shared office space with a textile designer named Gretchen Bellinger. Had half mm-hmm. the floor, they had the other half. And they gave me a desk, which was, you know, as big as <laughs> the area we're sitting in. And the, one of the big projects they were working on at the time was Studio 54.
0: So they were designing that. studio.
1: Yes. And, you know, so it was a heady time yeah. being in their office with them. Right. It was, you know, we didn't know what studio would, would, would become. Be. Yeah. But it was a yeah. remarkable time to have lived through mm-hmm. and to go to studio with, with Scott, who mm-hmm. was tall and handsome and, right. you know, come on it, you know, I, I was a pipsqueak, you know, nobody, now I can go to parties and people go get her, in. back then I wish I was that person, but it was the most extraordinary time in, um, in my life, and I started working with fashion clients that I knew, my first client was Selma Weiser for Sheri Barry, Really. and she had the boutiques just on really? Broadway, and wanted to do little yeah. openings with wine to get some yeah. people in, yeah. and that was pretty fabulous, and then it shifted because of being in Robin and Scott's office to doing interior firms and textile companies. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had, you know, a couple of little intern-type assistants that helped. And I didn't know what I was doing. It was common sense to me. Yeah. It was about connecting this one with that. Yeah. Connect is like the middle name. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I had 411 on my forehead because <laughs> people would... Where do I get this? How do I get balloons? I want to do a Uh, part. Somebody just designed this. How do they get published? I'm like, what am I, 411? (laughs) And then I realized I could get paid for that information and just connecting the dots. And one of my first assistants was Jane um, Hertzmark, who's Jane Hertzmark Mm Curtis now, who's worldwide global group president at S.D. Lauder. You know, and she worked for me for six years and all sorts of fabulous people worked for me through my life. And... My clients were, like I said, architects, interior designers, and then I, then I wound up representing this design center in Long Island City, the IDC NY, mm-hmm. which was being built to house all the showrooms. Yeah. And we had, you know, Rich Meyer Design Showrooms and Mario Botta and, and Michael Graves. Uh, it was the, the heading was that, day yeah, of those architects. They, yeah, they were, it was. Antarctic. The architects ran, it, it wasn't yeah. fashion designers. No,
0: it was all about architects.
1: And that's when I was doing that. Yeah. So I felt like, wow, this is this is so these guys yeah. are so great. They, all of they, them. Yeah. And Massimo Vignelli and mm-hmm. Layla were my yeah. mentors. They did all yeah. the graphics oh for the building. Um, I adored them more than anybody and learned so much from all of yeah. those people. I am Pei was the master planner. You know, it was <laughs> oh my God. it was fantastic. And I loved that yeah. job more than anything. I, go across the bridge every day to Long Island City to work. And we were in old chiclet factories and bakery factories and renovated them. Charlie Mm -hmm. Mm Guathme, Guathme Siegel. Charlie was the main architect on the project. Wow. And so I I loved that. And it was a very, very exciting time doing parties. And me and my assistants, I mean, we would cut up, you know, invitations and confetti and, you know, sprinkle Mm -hmm. things on the pathways when there were parties, figuring out ways to bring all yeah. these people together to Queens, Yeah. you know, and to not go to the airport and not all go right. home. You're going to, right. to work in, because yeah. New York is one of the only cities that does have all these waterways, but mm. you don't cross them all day, like yeah. Paris or London yeah. or no, anywhere true. else. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but that was such an exciting job for quite a few years until the recession hit, which was the late eighties, mm. um, 90, mm-hmm. and people stopped buying the, you know, furniture for office buildings that stopped being built. and yeah, yeah. Uh, The contract furniture industry just yeah. went, yeah. Boing,
0: yeah.
1: leasing stopped. We will lease 700,000 feet of a million square foot project of three buildings. And in fact, the fourth building, which was their garage, I did an event while I was still at the IDC um, where Ray Kawakuba did the first fashion show in New York no, in that garage. Really? Did it with Marion Greenberg and wow. the whole team. Wow. And we did a big warehouse sale in that space, and um, you know it was it was an amazing time, mm-hmm. uh, and it was also you know the AIDS crisis was in full swing now, mm-hmm. um, so we got very involved in that universe and tell you know we, we should really
0: talk about that because you and I
1: um,
0: were very really we're lost some some friendly with the friends. Same people yeah, yeah. and I mean, I even just starting to talk about it, I get I know. teary, and I, know. I and it and it's so. And Bob Yeah. Yes. It. It. To me, there was something about that time that was not just tragic, but it changed the city in such a major way, and I really think. There was a creative energy in New York that nobody can understand. It was everywhere, everywhere. There wasn't, forget about the windows and the displays and the art and the, everything. Theater. Everything. everything. It was just hyper creative. And then a switch. This, there was one switch and just this sort of very common thing happened that you were so aware of. And it, it, it's like to, 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 to adapt, to try to tolerate it has been a struggle of mine ever since. Mm-hmm. And the loss of people who came to New York because they were creative and different into a world of people who were here, who were creative and different, made New York such an incredible place. And I missed that about that time. That, of course. Besides the the fun and the... I I can't ever remember laughing as much either. Think about
1: it. Laughing as much with you and me and... Billy Bernardo and Bob, Bob, and Bob whoever, and had him with a flat okay, tire, okay. coming <laughs> home from a party in <laughs> New Jersey or somewhere. Right. I mean, I, mean, the, I, I think we laughed. We, so we laughed was... all the
0: time. Yeah. I just remember laughing all the time, and I think about, um, I think about Bob Curry all the time.
1: Yeah, you just want to like yeah. say, what? Bob, what would you do yeah. now? Yeah. How, how should we do yeah. this? Or what? just his take on yeah. it. He,
0: so great. I mean, beyond creative. But what's your take on on that time? I mean, I I know you were fully immersed in in the same kind of world I was in. What what's your view of it for people who have no real idea of it's, what it's, happened? Yeah,
1: uh, you know, uh, the definitive story on it doesn't feel like it's ever been told. Um, I no agree. matter how much you know, um, Kushner mm-hmm. writes and Larry Kramer writes and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, from a, it was such a personal experience. And like you say, it was fun. The creativity was boundless. I mean, anything was possible. And that was, you know, long before gay rights and, you know, same sex marriages and those things were not even a a twinkle in anybody's eye. You know, and part of what those guys were doing, which was so, was because they were so ostracized on one hand. I mean, they were like, fuck you. I'm going to just mm-hmm. be so creative that you, you can't uh, dismiss me. Right. I right. Mean, That's right. You know, if the, from Michael Bennett's plays to, you know, how many times did we see all see mm-hmm. Chorus Line? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and that told the story the same mm-hmm. way. Um, I mean, Robin and, and my, my friends and the designers and the, from Perry Ellis to Clovis Ruffin and you know. Antonio Lopez. Antonio Lopez. Everybody. Everybody. And it mm-hmm. was the studio days. I mean, mm-hmm. that was right before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The studio happened right before that the first end. bunch yeah. of people yeah. were all of a sudden getting sick on Fire Island. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first friend who, I think they said he had cat scratch fever. i like, what the hell is cat scratch yeah. fever? You know, and then as that played out. I mean, we were going to, everybody who, whenever be, people died at the beginning, had big parties and big mm-hmm. memorials. Mm-hmm. And, and then it became, we can't do this anymore because yeah. mm-hmm. you're doing them several times a week. Yeah. Yeah. People were being exhausted mm. from going to memorial services and going to hospitals. And, mm. But we lost so much talent. Yeah. And I don't care how creative everybody is now. I mean, it's just, it was not the not it's not the same. No, the, the There was an exuberant the numbers to
0: it. of it and the and it was sort of like a cycle. One inspiration created another inspiration and, and everybody and, fed and, off each other. Yeah, and you and and you would talk about it and get excited about it. So and nobody was competitive. it was like the
1: first time you saw certain yeah, things. And it was
0: the first time for so much and the spirit of creativity was really at its peak. Yeah. And and I think even in the fashion industry, I think it was a, a super hyper creative time. I think in every, um, every part of our lives, but there was <laughs> such a positive energy that people were laughing so much and having a good, a good time, time that... It was so much fun, and you were expressing yourself that I I just know that we haven't seen that again. No, no. In any no, in any magnitude, we have not, not seen even close. that again. No, I'm not even close. And that um, and why it ended and why it ended that way, I don't know, and it's very hard to figure out. It had the same impact on me that 9-11 had, mm-hmm. where this, things are not ever going to be the same.
1: Another experience that you and I shared. Yes, it's so Remarkably. true. Remarkably.
0: That's so true. We bumped into each other at St. Patrick's and St. Patrick's, and we shared a very moving Experience. Yeah. It's, and I don't know why I was drawn to St. Patrick's, but a lot of people were. Yeah. And when I yeah. saw you there, I thought, how
1: funny. I know. I'm a nice Jewish
0: girl. What was right. I doing? i <laughs> going over to
1: St. Patrick's. But
0: it was a great experience, yeah. and I'm so glad we shared it together. Yeah. Was
1: it the was the moment when you were really liking Rudy Giuliani. We <laughs> <laughs> were like, yay, Rudy. Now yeah. it's like, no, get yeah. the hell out of <laughs> No, right, it, it was, it,
0: again, it was a powerful oh. Which that, is very,
1: very powerful. Yeah. yeah. I mean extraordinary times.
0: And as New Yorkers, we really were, you know, we've experienced New York intensely, best I have and to the say. Worst. Yeah, we we really have. And and fortunately, because there is no other city that you can have this type of dynamic and, and intensity. So Tell me what was going on in your head, what was just before you decided, this is it, I'm going to change this, this industry and fix it right for New York City, other than the fact
1: that you should be mayor. <laughs> Thank God, no. Um, you know, it was, people who follow my career, when I talk about it, I never had a five-year plan, or a two-year plan, or I never said, okay, I have to do this, I'm going to make this much money, and... Then I'm going to go there, and this is where I see myself at 30, and this is where I see my... You know, it was having fun. It was trying to enjoy what I was doing, trying to just do the best I could do at whatever it was I was doing. Um, And not because I'm so competitive. I just want to do a good job. Right. And, you know, and I guess like everybody else, you want to be liked and appreciated Mm -hmm. along the way. Um, But when I was at this design center with all these architects and everybody and the recession hit, Um, It was the second time in my life that I was let go from a job. And I was senior VP marketing advertising. And it's truly, again, one of those things where I say, this is when you don't fire the creative people. This is when you fire the other idiots on Mm -hmm. the team. Mm -hmm. This is when you need creative people to reinvent something, come up with some new ideas. But, you know, the boys won out. And I... um, I left, and so I went back to my PR roots for a little bit, freelancing for some Mm -hmm. work, um, and had my three-wheel Rolodex, which (laughs) was, which was a real sign of how awfully. Do you You think anybody
0: knows what that
1: is anymore? A A three-wheel three-wheel Rolodex. I think I still have it in my garage (laughs) in my country house. And I was working. And doing some PR and one of the the fun clients that I actually helped in this office for was Pantone, the color company. Mm -hmm. And I remember creating a color day for them at Cooper Hewitt Museum. And we did architecture and color and had a panel of architects, interiors and color, fashion and color Mm -hmm. and food and color. And it was such a fun day. And the capped off the day with a cocktail party at the end of the day. And I had the caterers do, Every single thing was dyed into different colors. So you were having little sandwiches, which the bread was green and the cheese inside was blue or something. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'd had like bowls of like different berries. The other foods right. are really rich, right. beautiful colors. But it was so fun because people were freaking out. They were afraid to taste these. <laughs> so the colors had such a perception. Right. Of, I can eat that. But it was interesting. It was so much fun. Um, But in any case, while I was at that that job, I read Woman's Wear Daily, which I read since high school. Mm -hmm. My dad would bring it home from work every day. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I always knew what was going on. And I kept reading these stories about, you know, the CFDA looking for a new director. But actually, just while I was at this job, I went to, uh, to backtrack a second, to Seventh on Sale, the big AIDS benefit that, Mm-hmm. CFDA mm-hmm. finally had done. And at that time, I was on the board at DIFA, Design Industries Foundation mm-hmm. Fighting AIDS, um, because we in the interior furnishings design industry were really the first people to rise to the occasion and yeah, take on doing best. something. Mm-hmm. And because we had a president that wouldn't mention AIDS, we had a New York Times that didn't write about AIDS. Really? I didn't. Um, know we didn't have, there was nothing, and mm. friends were dying. So Larry Pond, who was in the industry, and Pat Green, started DIFA and I was on the founding board, and we all got together to raise money, and at that time, you had to do really crazy events and fun events to get normal people to come and spend money mm-hmm. for a disease about sexually transmitted disease of gay, mm-hmm. gay men. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a pretty subject yeah, to raise yeah. money for, but the... We were so, again, it's that creativity of that group. Suzanne Barsh doing love balls, you know. I mean, stuff that we did was just incredible. I did an event called Edible Architecture and had all the architects and designers give me drawings, which I had every one of them beautifully framed, free Mm -hmm. from every framer in New York, and then went to cake bakers and specialty food stylists. Long before there was a food channel and baking shows, mm-hmm. finding people to execute all of those in wow. three dimension, we sold everything at Sotheby's after a week's display in a showroom. So it was great! What it a brilliant like idea! Land. It was yeah. so gorgeous. Um, raised over half a million dollars was a ton of money at the time. Mm-hmm. We did unbelievable events because prior to that, fundraising for a disease mm-hmm. was a theater benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very different. I mean, that's it. Yeah. He didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. AIDS changed all of that. Yeah, that's true. AIDS was the forerunner for creating fun, fabulous events mm-hmm. to raise money. And AIDS was a big forerunner to the breast cancer mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. coming out of the closet yeah. to talk about it and yeah. raise money. So I had met with the CFDA folks as part of a DIFFA team. We went to the CFDA and said, Could we do something together and get the fashion industry to do something, Mm -hmm. something big? Um, Calvin had done one or two events, but there was really no big Mm -hmm. unified effort. And I remember sitting in Carolyn Rome's showroom with a few of the different folks and some other people at CFDA, and and then they said, no, you know, thank you. We're going to do our own thing. They really wanted to do their own thing. And they came up with Seventh on Sale, Mm -hmm. which was a brilliant event. Mm And I went to the dessert party, because that's all I could afford. And it was Anna Winter, and it was Calvin, Calvin Donna, Ralph, um, I think were the chairs, maybe Oscar, I don't remember. And um, Robert Isabel designed the entire mm-hmm. place. It was magic, the yeah. armory on 26th Street. They raised $5 million after, it was a weekend of shopping. Yeah, Two hour spells, that's you right. buy a ticket yeah. to go in and shop, buy everything. Yeah. Every designer, you were, mm-hmm. were there. Everybody had their own booth yeah. selling their stuff. It was like you died and went to heaven. Yeah, oh, that was great. O-sale meeting all these people. Yeah. But that, that event killed the organization. The CFDA mm-hmm. was depleted after that. Nobody knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolyn Rome resigned. The young man who was an executive director who had an office um, about the size of the elevator, um, his contract wasn't renewed. I knew him years ago from mm-hmm. the furniture industry. And so that's when I was reading Women's Wear and the CFDA was looking for a new director now to take all this energy that they finally galvanized yeah. with the AIDS community, for AIDS to get somebody there. And, and I said, maybe I should throw my hat in the ring, you know, and they, it was over months of reading this actually. And um, people said to me um, that I was working Mary Loving and the office said, you, you God, you're perfect for this. Why didn't we think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let me find out who to call. Why don't you call Donna Karen? And I said, oh, Donna's going to take my call? Uh, you know, she doesn't know me. So then she said, Stan Herman and Monica Tilly were the search committee, mm-hmm. send a resume and a letter. And I did, on I think on Friday. It took me all day to get this letter out. And Monday morning, they called and said, how quickly can you get here? <laughs> and I went to meet them. Really? And they said they had just picked their five finalists uh, who were coming in on Wednesday. This was a Monday. They were coming in on, um, maybe I saw them on Monday, Tuesday. Was later that week was mm-hmm. the final selection. So my timing was like right under the gun. And clearly with my experience in PR and marketing and organizing in industry, which I had done for the design industry, mm-hmm. the architecture world, I said, yeah, I could organize the fashion industry. Know, you know. <laughs> Why not? Um, but so that's how that came about. And then they, they loved me. And I said to Stan, I said, I met you. And he goes, I said, when I was a guest editor at Mademoiselle, we all would go off. There were 20 of us, so there were five groups of, of four. Um, and we'd all go to meet someone. This group would meet um, a poet. This group would meet a, um, a designer. This group would meet, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody else in in industry right. focus. And Stan was the designer, Mr. Mort, who we went yes. to meet. <laughs> I remember. And so when I told him that, he goes, I knew I knew you. I said, oh, you're just lying, oh, no. but that's okay. No, he would remember.
0: He doesn't he's so remember quirky. anything. He would remember. <laughs> he,
1: he does. i worked with, uh, he's my best friend to this day, he, and, but he, we he, teased about that all the time. And... Uh, So anyway, I went for the next meeting with the finalists, and the meeting was with um, Stan. No, maybe it was Stan and Monica there. I don't remember. It was Bill Blass, Carolyn Rome, and Calvin. And I knew Calvin from the beach and Mm -hmm. from parties, and Bill Blass looked like my father, so I was kind of comfortable with him, but he was such a class act. Yeah, he was And Carolyn was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they said to me, asked me questions like why should we hire you You haven't been in fashion in 10 years you know you've been another i said i never stopped wearing clothes Mm -hmm. and they went oh that's a good answer you know (laughs) i said i never stopped shopping i never stopped looking at magazines i said that's in my blood Mm -hmm. and i really do believe that yeah um and we talked about a lot of things and they you know clearly said you know we want you to meet the the board i was selected but the, I had to go before the entire board and that was like a couple of weeks later and it was my day of my birthday and You're kidding. and I, I mean I remember the most stress in my life was dressing for each of these meetings what do you wear to mm-hmm. these things uh, but the meeting was in Carolyn Rums showroom long conference table and it was Calvin, Ralph, Donna, Bill Blass, Oscar, Mary McFadden, Patricia Underwood, mm-hmm. Monica Tilly, um, um, Marion Ross, everybody who yeah. was um, the, the yeah, Casper, yeah. um, the whole board, including Eleanor Lambert and You're kidding. other others, because she was like founding creator of sorts. And it was a it was a tough meeting. They they really threw out a lot of questions back and forth to me, uh, especially Oscar who was, well, how could you raise enough money for us if you're going to be working for, you know, you're involved with Diffa and uh, you, 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 we need all your attention? I said, you'll get 1,000% of my time, but don't ask me to stop doing something for my friends or if people I know are dying, don't mm-hmm. ask me to not continue to right. do that. I mean, nothing will stop that. And I looked at my, oh. And then Mary McFadden said, and you're on the, you know, you created this. Far- furnish a future you with working with the partnership for the homeless. I mean, how is that going to take your time? And I said, you know, it's interesting that you asked that because I only went to a meeting about that because it was in your showroom and I wanted to see your showroom. <laughs> 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 so, and I said when I was there, I realized, "Oh my gosh, I know I, I could do something with this." Mm-hmm. You know, and we created a whole new division for the partnership for the homeless. Wow. So anyway, long story short, Please go out of the room. Um, And they deliberated. I came back in, and they all sang happy birthday to me. Stop. How cool. And and actually had a cake. Oh, my God. That is so fabulous. So. And that's how it started. And then it was Market Week. I started two weeks later. But in that time, Michael Kors had a show in an empty loft in 20-something Street, Chelsea. You know how loud the music is at a fashion show? If something's not nailed down, it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they put the music on and the ceiling crumbled, started to crumble. Came yeah. down and yeah. Cindy, Linda, Naomi, all the supermodels Everybody. of the day. Yeah. But when plaster landed in Susie Mancus's lap and Carrie Donovan's lap, <laughs> that, was that was it. The headlines <laughs> the next day said, we live for fashion. We don't want to die for it. I remember. And I said, I think my job description just changed. Yeah, yeah. And that's how Seventh on Sixth was created. It was named after Seventh on Sale, mm-hmm. so it was Seventh Avenue moving to Sixth Avenue. And two years later, we tried an experiment to see if more than you know, ten people would show in the same venues, and uh, it was changed the world. It was a huge success. So it raised the, the money, did yeah. everything. For so it. the
0: tents in you know Bryant Park. Yeah, the tents how did it technically become bryant park and the tents and like what what was that
1: well the first season that we decided to try to organize something we did it at the maclow hotel which was on that's 44th right. street
0: that's right and it was
1: harry maclow i remember that yeah and he was reading articles that we had put that were in the press about trying to organize shows yeah. after. because not only was there this disaster Michael show the next season isaac had a show in soho Mm -hmm. in a loft at eight o'clock at night 1500 people sitting in seats or 1200 people who wouldn't budge Mm -hmm. and the power blew yeah you know and people sitting there in the pitch black with cigarette lighters and waiting for backup generators um uh i don't know donna somebody was having a show on 557th avenue in their showroom and the freight elevators the elevator I out know, and I was down Liz say yeah. and people had to be carried out yeah. by the fire department. Right. I mean, it was just one disaster after another. <laughs> right. So we had a real reason to get this organized. Um, Bryant Park was under renovation at the time. It was Needle Park. It was disgusting, but it was yeah. being reinvented. Um, Stan Herman, who became president of CFDA after I was hired, he said, okay, I could work with her. Nobody wanted to be president. He said, I'll do it. And so we were, you know, Mutt and Jeff for mm-hmm. 10 years.
0: Oh, my God, and, that's right.
1: And he was on the board at Bryant Park, and his office is on, on 40th Street and 6th Avenue. And we negotiated with, with them because it was like the backyard of the garment industry. Yeah, And yeah. it was perfect. And I remember, I mean, the biggest part was raising the money to do it because the fashion industry wasn't going to spend the money. Mm-hmm. Designers might be successful, but not Spending a lot of money mm-hmm. on the shows if yeah. they don't have to. And I spent a week, well, several weeks, dialing for dollars. Um, the first person who actually came on board was Evian Water. Mm. Through a friend of mine who was one of the publishers said, I know this man, Mark Rodriguez, and he's just taken over at Evian. They're looking for a way to do something clever wow. in America. Yeah. You know, this before there were 15 waters on the shelves. And Evian came on board um, and I, I, I think we just agreed. I had no idea for $100,000. Then I called Anna Winterer, And literally, it was on a phone call explaining the whole concept, what we're doing, and would they be funded? And she said, how much do you need? And I said, I, you half a million dollars. Um, really had no idea. And she said, let me get back to you. I'll call Cy. And you know, literally, I think the next day or later that day, she called back and said, we'll give you $100,000. So I said, I'll take it. Maybe that was the first time we had the hundred, and Then we made that the and benchmark. That point, yeah. I then called the president of Hearst, and I said, Vogue is giving us $100,000. He said, okay, Harper's will give you $100,000. Then I called David Pecker, who was the president of Hachette, mm-hmm. and he's, I said, Vogue and Bazaar are doing this. And he said, okay, i will give you $100,000. <laughs> and then I called friends I knew at Clairol and said, you know, you're America's hair brand. This is... I right. was trying to find yeah. companies that had relevance um, yeah. to the industry. Yeah. And Jane Hertzmark, who had worked for me for six years when I started PR, I was now at Prescriptives. Um, she had gone back to business school at Columbia and the woman went to work at Lauder. Um, so I said, Janie, this is perfect. You're a young, cool brand. You know, let's do this. And yeah. she was able to get $100,000 wow. in prescriptives, was a sponsor. And she, at the time, was training Aaron Lauder to be in the business. Aaron was our point person. Um, I then literally, I, Michael Moore inside of me called General Motors and said, can I speak to the president? And, you know, if you just ask sometimes, I, it's amazing. You go right I know. Now I'd be afraid to do yeah. it. Then I had no problem. Yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes it's ignorance is bliss. Absolutely. So they sent me right through and spoke to the president's secretary. And she said, this is a great idea. Could you send us some materials? And I sent her stuff. And then I... Eventually had a great conversation with I don't remember his name for love or money, and I guess it was David Pecker who was at L. They published all the Car and Driver magazines, and so they had a lot of chits in Detroit. Mm -hmm. He said, "I'll follow up on that and get it for you." Nice. And and he did. And you know, you you just everybody helped out. We had enough money and created the first season, which was in the the fall of 1993 of Seventh and Sixth. And and I said to sponsors at that time. Just give me a logo. We're going to make a sign this big. If you want to give something out, we have metro shelves. And give me a box of something that we'll keep replenishing. Right. You know, we know how that eventually grew mm-hmm. into sponsor lounges yeah, and yeah, yeah. branding and what have you. But it was, I know, who knew if it would work? What about the
0: city? How was it working with the city
1: to, to set was that up? It was interesting. Dinkins was mayor at the time. That's right. And I remember having meetings, going up to Gracie Mansion when this was being formulated and we sat and waited and waited for him. He came in in his tennis whites. He'd been playing tennis and I explained what we wanted to do and needed help from the city and how important the garment industry and the apparel industry was to New York. And he said, yeah, but you know, so is education and so is this and so is that. And if we start funding you and giving it, you know, then we have to do this for everybody. I mean, it was kind of obnoxious. Mm. And so I said to him, Well, I guess we'll just have to take up that offer about the Meadowlands. And he said, what, are you threatening to go to New Jersey? (laughs) And I said, well, it's the only way that anybody gets your attention because they were giving money to everybody who threatened to move their business out of New York. And and people looked at me like, you really just said that to the mayor? (laughs) And, I, I mean, I had nothing to lose. And they didn't give us any help, but they wound up making it a little bit easier with certain agencies for permitting and street mm-hmm. permits and banners and things like that. And even at the opening kickoff, it was his wife, Joyce Dinkins, was there yeah. cutting the ribbon with the designers. Um, so I, I was never a huge fan of Mr. Dinkins, unfortunately, because of that. Um, but we, we started with a three tents, two tents one where the restaurant is now, and that was called Gertrude, Mm -hmm. and it was called Gertrude because there's a statue of Gertrude Stein Mm -hmm. in the park prominently situated backstage, and designers would put hats and beads and everything on her. So we called her Gertrude. The front tent was on the other side of the lawn, Mm -hmm. and it's the Elizabeth Shaw Lowell Fountain, which jutted into the last few rows of the tent. Mm -hmm. We had to design the tent cutting out space for the fountain. So we called her Elizabeth, Josephine, I'm sorry. And then we had a third venue in the library, which was the Celeste Bortos Forum. Mm-hmm. So it was Celeste, Gertrude, and, uh, and um, what did I just say? Elizabeth Shaw Lowell. And I said, these were our three muses. And I had my friends at Pentagram, who Michael Beirut did the graphics for us of the logo of Seventh-on-Six. That was so great. He yeah. used to work for the Vignellis and I met him yeah. through my IDC days. Yeah.
0: So anyway, it was
1: 18 years I ran it. We sold it after 10 years to IMG, and then I started going to fashion weeks around the world, creating them in Bombay and helping them get it going in Berlin and buying Fashion Week in Moscow and in Australia. You know, and just it was fascinating.
0: The, I think one of the takeaways in, in this conversation is how those moments the the times in people's lives when shit happens are so critically important to growth and you're like a perfect example of it and even after the tents and all of that I mean you already did I know when I left people thought like
1: what's going to happen she's going to disappear and die. No
0: you already did everything a human being would be happy to do and then it was like well what is she going to do and there was no question in my mind. I mean, I even told you that. I can't wait to see what you're going to do year. next. And, the, and the,
1: the your ability
0: to, you know, your Rolodexes is in your head. To connect people and to see opportunities where people don't see them. I mean, that is your real skill set. You see shit that nobody else can see. And, um, and and I find it amazing, and I and I just think that knowing more about you and and the way you've traversed through your life is such a great lesson for women, especially. You're not, you're not one of these women's lib, right, people who is like this, this, and this. you you like, do your Just shit. Just do it. But I'm, I'm doing it. I'm living it. I'm living the dream of a woman. And, and I have one last question. Marty's granddaughter is named uh, Eloise. She's six years old, and I interviewed her for Instagram, and I asked her when she is older and is gets married, and has a kid. And she said, I'm not getting married, and I don't want children. I have things I want to do, and I will not have time to have a family and kids. Oh, my God. And I thought, I know I did not influence this girl. I don't know her that well, but, like, where is this coming from? Oh, my God. Then I thought, when I was six, I remember somebody asked me that, and I said something similar, and they were angry at me. They really, really were angry, and I said, okay, I'm going to modify it. I'm going to change it um, and say someday I will. Or uh, and, and the the ultimate kind of expression of a person and who they are and what they do, especially for a woman, doesn't necessarily connect to being Mrs. Someone. Right. And some of us are not meant to, for whatever the reasons are, aren't meant to be Mrs. Someone. And I think you too. I mean, and I had this well, conversation with yeah, Anna yeah. also. But, I mean, like you're your own I mean, I person. wish there was,
1: I had made time for it to be not necessarily Mrs. Someone, but to have that other aspect mm-hmm. of my life. I mean, that is the, the, you can't have it all sometimes. Well. But then some people do. God bless them. So but, just say,
0: just some sharing this at 65 I met Marty I that, which is incredible okay so I'm just saying you, you never know a turtle. you never know you never know you never know and I think if you really if you really you
1: are, are thinking
0: about that you make the time I
1: know it's it's true.
0: True. it is a different thing so I wasn't ready clearly until I was 65
1: no, it's incredible. It is, it is. But we can't leave without talking quickly about fashion icons and my series at the 92nd Street Watch. Oh uh, my God! And my next yeah. one that's coming up. Well, tell us. Uh, so this series, as you know, because you kicked it off with me, you were my first. Thank dis- you very first much. First guest, and it's been going on for now. It's all, all. I think it's up the seventh year. It's amazing. And it's been amazing. Everybody yeah. that matters. I mean, it's. From, from the Calvin Donna, mm-hmm. you know, Tommy, Tom Ford, Mark Jacobs, the Valentino, F. Victoria Everybody. Beckham, Leonard Lauder, you name it. But um little segue, September 11th, I'm um, doing Russell Westbrook, the um, basketball player yes. from the, uh, Oklahoma. And he's got great style. He has a book coming out yes. with Rizzoli. Um, so that's all time to do this together. That's very and interesting. And I'm looking forward to that. Very I'm already interesting. getting friends, every, people who usually come are now, my husband wants to come yeah. to this yeah. one. Come I was gonna my say, son this is to gonna This is going to change one. the my demographic. My kids are going crazy. That's so very So there'll be exciting. a lot of men in the audience. <laughs>
0: well, which will be great. I think yeah. it's a good way to kind of, everything is sort of crossing well, roads
1: Yeah, now. it is culturally. Yeah. Just a weave and a yeah. tapestry. And I'm happy to, I love sharing like, with you today getting other people to find out who are they yeah. how did they become that what what turned them yeah. on when you know it's I don't care about that collection and mm-hmm. this collection how would you become the people yeah. you are?
0: for me the my my curiosity is about fitness health beauty style and women and and sort of the empowering women all of these things and what is your story what happened to you like you you were born into a house where your dad was in the garment industry and
1: There's, my mother was martha stewart before there was a Martha Stewart. so there stewart. you go so she, you, you she did everything it's
0: done it's done it's there that's it and so you you know so much from the beginning but it's so helpful to know the beginning i love you i love much. you too darling Thanks. We have more and more events to share with each other. I hope so. You know, you also asked me to be in that first, the first of the shows at
1: the 10th. Yes. Do you remember yes. that? Yes, absolutely. And that got you to show in Miami at the swim right. shows. right. You, t-
0: <laughs> you are always going to be and in I anything met, I do. And I met um, Etta James from doing that show because I used all her music and we became very good friends. And that was one of the best, yeah, that was such a great part of my life, having our friendship. Anyway, I'm happy that you. Thank you so much. The conversation with Fern was absolutely fantastic. I'm sure you guys got a lot out of it. I certainly did just by refreshing my memory of everything she's done. Thanks for checking in.